chapter 3 of Mark's Gospel. Uh, what we want to uh, start to think about as we look at chapter 3 uh, is, is the Sabbath. And, and in many ways, the chapter 3 deals with, with how you get through life and life's problems and life's difficulties. What you see in chapter 3, although I've started with our key verse uh, this week to meditate on and to think about and to memorize, is uh, this verse. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, why would we put this verse here? And then look at chapter 3. Well, when you look at chapter 3, you realize very quickly that Jesus is facing numerous problems in chapter 3. It's, it's one of those chapters, if you like, one of those days, those series of events in Mark's gospel where he moves from one problem to another. And if Jesus didn't have that connection with the Father, he would be, as the phrase goes, which was coined in, I guess, the 1950s with a, a document that was written, a, a thesis, from, in fact, the University of Toronto, where it first appeared on the paper and it was first talked about and then picked up by, I think it was Alvin Toffler with Future Shock and so on. And this little phrase, and the moment I mention it, you'll go, oh, yes. In fact, I was in Tim Hortons and there was a four-year-old girl. She was very upset with her mother and she threw her head back and she said the phrase. And the phrase is this. Mom, you are stressing me out at that moment. Now, this uh, sermon could be, of course, is stress called stress and the Sabbath. Uh, I'm stressed out, but instead of being stressed out, you probably need to get your Sabbath in. And so when we start to think about this and she threw back her hair and she shook her head and she said, you know, mum, you are stressing me out. I couldn't help but, but gently laugh into my Tim Hortons double double. And, and at that moment, I realise and we hear it. We hear it with our kids. If you hear it, what they say. We hear it on TV. The whole idea of being stressed out. Now this chapter 3 is Jesus' stressed out chapter. Why? Well, first of all, uh, we see that he is overwhelmed by the busyness of people. Of all the coming around. Secondly, we'll discover that he is let down by people. And you will discover that when we get stressed out, we become overwhelmed by the tasks that we have to keep doing. When we get stressed out, we feel as if uh, people let us down. And thirdly, when we get stressed out, uh, often it is the toxic words of what people say to us that make us stressed out. True? It's amazing how a little sentence can really upset us. And in this chapter, you have Jesus and stress, and you have Jesus and the Sabbath, and you have all of this wrapped up neatly in chapter 3. So where do we start? Well, as we start to think about this, we know that, first of all, that Jesus, like us, knew what it was to be tired 
Jesus, like us in his humanity, the infinite um, became finite in the limitations of, 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 of humanity and God became man. And in his humanity, he was hungry. He was tired. In fact, Jesus knew what it was to, to grieve, to feel pain, to experience every emotion that we as human beings do experience within our lives. And so the chapter is propelled and kicks off with a, a, an interesting story. And it's the story of when they gather in the synagogue and another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. How dark and twisted is this? That religion has become so entrenched in legalism that the very idea of Jesus doing a miracle on the Sabbath is what they were concerned. Indeed, the, the Pharisees had developed exactly 39 extra rules to do with the Sabbath. They added things you couldn't do and things you... Um, could engage in. Uh, and, and, and of course the disciples in chapter 2 were accused of, 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 of picking wheat. You know, harvesting wheat. We know about harvesting wheat in Canada, don't we? Uh, we know about what a harvest means. And they said you can't harvest, of course, on the Sabbath. And, and, and the disciples weren't bringing out combine harvesters. They weren't bringing out great big scythes. They were walking through and they happened to pick, as many of us have done, a little bit of corn and rub it and just eat it. And they said, oh, look, 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 you're, you're, you're bringing in the harvest. You're harvesting. This is wrong. And now Jesus finds himself there, surrounded by the religious people. And we hear one of the rare occasions where Jesus is now angry. And he's surrounded by the religious people and, and they look at him and they watch him closely what, whether he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. I guess at that moment his heart was beating. He's getting nervous. And the eyes were now looking. And as the eyes were looking and Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life, or to kill. But they remained silent. And he looked around at them again, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. A shriveled hand was completely restored. Restored on the Sabbath, and Jesus looked at them and was angry and 
distressed by their own hearts. He could read their hearts. He could see what was going on. He could see and what was going on. Well, first of all, they were utterly and completely tribal in their thinking. They thought about themselves. They thought about their little group. They thought about their rules as number one. And secondly, they were judgmental. They were looking at Jesus, looking at the man with a shriveled hand, and they were judgmental. And and they were there. And thirdly, they were obsessed with doing everything correct and right. And they were missing the whole point. Here was a man with a shriveled hand that needed help, that needed love, that needed wholeness, that needed God's power. And this was on the Sabbath day. And the Lord stretched out and healed this man's shriveled hand. Well, I'll tell you what was going on at that moment. As you looked around that room, there may have been a shriveled hand in the room, but that room was full of shriveled, dried up religious hearts that were missing the point of the kingdom of God. And you may have a shriveled hand, but the most dreadful thing that each of us can have within our lives and our journey is to actually have a shriveled heart. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point because the Sabbath was given as a gift. Not to be polluted by religion, not to be polluted by uh, man's rules. It was given to a gift so that life could be given. See the Sabbath. Here was this guy. And in many ways, you and I are like this man with the shriveled hand. We've got a, our lives are wrecked by sin. Our lives are, are, are ruined by the work of darkness. And yet Christ has come and he has restored us. Where we were broken, where we were shriveled, where we were in pain, where we were disgraced, where we were embarrassed, where we were in shame and guilt. The presence of Jesus came to us and he restored us. That's the power of the Sabbath. He came and restored us. He came and gave us fresh life. Where we were drained out, stressed out, washed out, he has come and he has restored us and filled us with life and he has repaired us like a broken piece of machinery like something that should work properly but instead we have we've we we we've broken and and he comes and repairs the brokenness of our lives the brokenness of our hearts he repairs this man's shriveled broken life But they're more interested in religion and position than they are in the knowledge of the Sabbath. Two thoughts. You see, as I've said before, religion is often seen as good advice. Whereas what Mark wants to prove to us is that religion isn't good, good advice, but true religion is good news that sets the captive free. And, and, and often religion is man trying to get to God, and yet clearly the message of the gospel is God getting to man and reaching down into our shriveled lives and our shriveled hearts. There are three kinds of uh, religious approaches in our world today. 
There's what we call nationalistic religious approach, whereby your religion is join my tribe, join my people, this land is holy, and if you come to this place and join our, our ethnic experience or our nationality, you will have the truth and the religion will be true for you. There is then the spiritual approach to religion, whereby you travel through different levels. I've traveled extensively as well through India and gone into many Hindu temples and many experiences and stood there as, as I've watched chickens have been sacrificed to certain looking gods and, and, and people are meditating and they're trying to move always from one consciousness to another consciousness to another level so they may attain something. I went to school with the third group of people who it was all about doing the right thing, the legalistic approach. I had friends in school coming from the city I came from who would go to the, yes, to the mosque uh, every day, go to prayer, do what was expected. And yet when I would uh, play cricket with them and talk to all my friends and say, but do you have a relationship with God? The very concept of relationship with God was not there. It was just do it right, do it correctly, and therefore you will be assimilated and you will be right with God. That's not religion. Whether it's nationalistic, whether it's spiritually moving to different levels, or whether it's being legalistic and doing everything correct. Just tell me what to do and I will do it correctly. <sighs> no. See, Jesus came so that we may have life and have life to the full. Jesus came to be our Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. He said, indeed, I am the Sabbath. He said, when in me there is Sabbath. Now let me explain what therefore the Sabbath is and how this affects your stressed out life. See, the very word Sabbath means, in the Hebrew, it means a deep peace or a deep rest. And that deep peace or that deep rest affects every part of your life. It brings wholeness. It brings peace. In fact, the word Sabbath and the word Shalom can be interchangeable in their heart and their, their metaphors for each other. And when you become a Christian, you enter into Jesus and Jesus declared, I am the rest. And Jesus declared that I am the very Sabbath. In other words, when you discover God, you step into a deep rest, into a deep peace, into a whole life that you can know his presence with you. It goes back to Genesis. God created the heavens and earth in six days and he looked back and as he looked back he said it's good and God rested on the seventh day. Really? How, how, how can God rest? How can the creator of heaven and earth truly rest? What does this mean? I mean, the God who, who by his very presence is uncreated. The God who by his, uh, has no end, who is beginningless. The God who 
transcends all and is infinite. The God who created the world. The God who holds the cosmos all together. The supernovas. The the billions of stars. the, The space and time. This God who holds every molecule and atom together. How can he rest? Really? See, when you see the word rest on the seventh day, God stepped back. He looked. And really the word is satisfied. It is done. I am satisfied. Look at it. Look at the creation. I'm satisfied. It's, it's finished. I've done the job. Now, doesn't that instantly remind you of another moment with a man bleeding and dying on the cross? And he looked up to heaven, breathed his last breath and cried out, it's finished. It's satisfied. It's done. The rest has come to humanity. We can now live in peace. We can now live in this rest. We can now live with him. Jesus satisfied all the requirements of the laws of heaven. And we now live in a Sabbath rest that lasts for eternity because we live in Jesus. And when you live in Jesus, you live in peace. When you live in Jesus, you live in hope. When you live in Jesus, it is the perfect way to live your life because you know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in control. He is in control. And, and, and the doomsday clock this week has been moved to, to a place where it hasn't been since 1956, I am told. Two minutes away from the destruction of the world, mainly because of certain elections that have happened. And and, and everybody's freaking out. Everybody's talking about all oh, the pressure in the world, everything. And they're all getting worried. Let me tell you, man and scientists may move a doomsday clock and they may look at it and it may be on the front page of all the global uh, papers in the world as a good story. But there's only one person that knows the end and he's on throne and he's in heaven and he rules and he is our Sabbath. He knows it all. So, so you can trust him. And you can walk in that Sabbath knowledge. You see, Jesus, he had a busy life. I mean, we know from the following verses that he arrived and, and, and people swamped him. People from Judea, Jerusalem, they came from all around, from Tyre and Jordan. They came and they crowded around him and he didn't heal everybody. But, but to cope with the pressure, he said, well, first of all, the scripture teaches us that he said to Peter, get the boat ready. That's why I know that if Jesus lived in anywhere in Canada, he would live in Kelowna. Get the boat ready. There's all these people. It's all pressurized right now. Get the boat ready. We're going out. And as a boat owner, I say boat, a canoe. (laughs) There's nothing better than escaping the crowd to be in the center of our beautiful lake and to withdraw. 
And many of us are stressed out and we're not living in the Sabbath rest because we're not withdrawing and we're not finding our boat and we're not spending time alone with Jesus. We do lots of good things and we do lots of busy things. But often busy good things can rob us of the excellent thing that we need, which is time with God. Often good things can, can, can distract us from the closeness that we have with him. And clearly, as people will tell you that if you want to, to really deal with, with a stressed out life, you know, one of the greatest antidotes is what Jesus did regularly. He went to a quiet place. He walked to the mountaintop. He walked between villages. He got out and very simply, he exercised. He went out. He connected with people. And so many of us get so sucked into life that we never get out and we never do things. In fact, you know, very simply, you walking 30 minutes a day, every day of your life in a lovely spot of where we live will change the way you view the world. It will change the way you pray. It will change the rhythm of your life. It will make a difference. Jesus couldn't heal everybody. He didn't heal everybody. And the pressure came in and he always withdrew to recharge. He knew that to live in the Sabbath, you had to withdraw. And I worry about us in our society. I worry that we become so busy doing that we're never present. And we become so busy sitting and moving that actually we never even exercise. We never do things that that people have done for thousands of years because we become so sedated. And so he, he had a crowd and he withdrew. And I think for many of us, we need to discover the joy of withdrawing and walking. And whatever the metaphor is for your little canoe, your boat, then get in the boat and get in the middle of the lake and be alone with your king. Because when you're alone with your Sabbath, the Lord... He comes and he restores you. He comes and repairs you. He comes and touches you. See, Jesus spent a lot of time with key other people. And one of the things that we do when we feel the pressure of what's going on and and suddenly, you know, is that we fail, we withdraw, we become isolated and we become alone because what we realize is in life, people let us down. And I want to remind you this, that people let us down. And let's just accept that fact. Jesus knew that people let him down. Jesus knew and understood this even as he was on the mountainside. He appointed the twelve and he got them together and he called them out and he gave them authority to preach. And right at the end of this this whole wonderful commissioning and naming of the 12 disciples, you have one name right here, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Friends let us down, people let us down, 
Our expectations are broken. Why? Maybe one reason why we have this sentence here is because Jesus wants to let you know that he knows what it is to be hurt. He knows what it is to be betrayed by people that should know better and should love you. In fact, in a few verses on, his own parents, his own family will declare he's mad. He is out of his mind. I mean, that's quite a statement in Scripture that his own family grabbed hold of Jesus, tried to intervene, and they said, he's mad. How did Jesus respond? Well, very often, he was quiet and silent and he took it. Very often, what he said was he socialized, of course, with others, with sinners, and he was criticized for this. But he socialized with those who wanted to do the will of the Father. In other words, Jesus did surround himself with people. Who, who he had a common mission with, a focus to move forward. Even though there were the shouts of the family condemning him, the, the knowledge that friends would betray him, the knowledge that the religious authorities were calling that his power came from Satan in this chapter, he did three things. He kept trusting God. He kept moving forward in what God had called him to do. And he was willing to stay true to that God-given mission. And I think when we know who we are in Christ, and we know the big picture of what God is doing, that when we feel the business, busyness of life we withdraw, when we feel the disappointment of relationships, we, yes, we forgive. Yes, we move on. But yes, we remember that God's got a plan for each one of our lives. That nobody can rob you of the plan. There's the family calling him mad with toxic words that are going to hurt him. That would, would stress any of us out. That would affect us. And, and, and they declared he is out of his mind. Well, he's out of his mind. What have people said about you? You'll never make it. What have they said about you? you? You haven't got the ability. What have they said about you? That words that sting, that words that hurt. When you enter and sit with Jesus and you understand in our life that, that, that he's with us and he is our, our wonderful wonderful Sabbath, then we can draw on him. <clears throat> because the Sabbath is no longer just a day, it is the person. He is him. We need a Sabbath day, we need day of rest, we need, need a day. But really our true strength comes from living in Jesus and coming close to him in our lives. And the toxic words just kept coming. 
They declared that way he was ministering, he was speaking. He was ministering and speaking through the prince of darkness and through the power of Satan. Imagine Jesus here, seeing all of their opinions, all of their vicious words, all of that. And Jesus knowing that he is the son of the Father in heaven and has been present in the Trinity for all time, timeless. And he's there on the rescue mission and these little ants are running around giving their opinions, saying this, and yet he knows he's on one direction, that God is in control. Don't you think that in your life that you need to get a different perspective? That you need to step it up and look down and see God's eternal plan? See what God's about? And see what God is doing in your life and how God is working in your heart and that God is at work. See, okay, let's talk about stressed out. You know, I've learned a number of things from this scripture and Jesus' rhythm is that Jesus' rhythm was that when I am blue, when I am stressed out, I noticed that Jesus withdrew, that he walked, that he went to sides of mountains, that he was in gardens, and he was found in these isolated spots, breathing in, taking in life. I think very simply, you can do that. Also, Jesus socialized and enjoyed and had many meals and with people that gave life and loved his disciples. They laughed, they enjoyed. And yet so often what happens when we get stressed out, life becomes so serious and we forget the joy of relationship. We forget the simple things of eating together, of fellowshipping together. And when you socialize in the middle of stressful times with people, that bring life to you, it changes your way of thinking. Isolation will bring many lies. But when we socialize, it makes a difference. And I think Jesus' relationship with others also helped him to propel. I think then we need to be willing to analyze. Look at our, look at our thought patterns. Take the words that people are saying, the situations, and analyze them, not with the lies or the hurtfulness, but with God and God's truth. Because often we become so into a dark place because we're believing a lie and we're not believing the truth about our lives. And when we become stressed out, it's often because of what's going on in our brain that we keep churning it and churning it. And we need to analyze what is truth. And we need to say, I know this. And the scripture is full of truth about who we are, full of truth about how God loves us, full of truth about his grace. And we need to realize and stand tall and know that we're in a battle and know that 
that we are God's children and he loves us. And in the same way he was with Christ in the busyness, the same way he was let down by people, the same way toxic words hurt him, we mustn't allow ourselves to go low. We must go high. We must seek first the things of the kingdom of God. We must look to Jesus. We must live in the deep peace of the Sabbath. We stand back and we say, He is my satisfaction. He is my life. He is my purpose. Jesus would carry on. But you get this sense as you read the chapter and reread it and reread it. That it was his presence that came and worked. So you may not even be a believer this morning. You've never, I sat with somebody last week, very troubled person, not, didn't know Jesus, sat there chatting in Starbucks, having spent a fortune, and I looked across, I said, any questions? Simply answered. Explain to me then how you can know God. And I paused and explained the way of salvation. And the difference it makes. And the peace that it brings. And how he changes our life. So be encouraged from chapter 3. Jesus has been through it. You can receive it. Live in his presence. He is the Sabbath. And when we live in him, we abide by the Sabbath. Because in the Ten Commandments it says, you know, anybody that disobeys the Sabbath shall die. Well, let me tell you something. There is somebody from above who has already died. And by his death, you've received the eternal Sabbath. You're going to live forever. You are going to live forever. We are going to live forever. So you better put up with me, all right? (laughs) We're going to live forever. He has purchased our rest for us. Hebrews 4 says, let's stand together. Just as we pause and bow our heads, I'd love to pray for you. If in your life at this moment you are, to coin the phrase of the 50s, stressed out. You need that peace. You need his presence. You need Jesus to come now. If that is you, as we just pause for a moment, maybe just raise your hand. By raising your hand saying, Pastor, pray for me. I need that peace to come into my life. I need that peace to come and work. I need that peace to come and be present. Maybe the only take home you've got is you better get your walking shoes on and get out there. But you may discover that as you're out there, you get to know Jesus a bit better. Because you've actually created some time. 
Lord, I pray for us. I pray, Lord, and thank you. That you in your humanity understands our own battles. Thank you that we haven't been given religion. We've been given life. And I pray in the final moments of this gathering that those worries, anxieties, concerns may lift off. And that as we gather in this beautiful spot of church, that your presence and your peace will descend on our families. I know that many of you are worried about family members that aren't here because they live in a fraught, stressed out way. Maybe lift them up to the Lord now. The Lord knows them and loves them. And you pray that peace to come into their lives. That peace to be present. Lord, minister to us in the final minutes. And let your presence rest on us. To give us peace, Lord, I pray. Amen.